Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Confidence starts with loving who you are. And when your skin feels nourished and glows on the outside, you naturally radiate confidence from the inside. Give your skin a glow up with Osea's clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This ultra-hydrating body care features two of Osea's bestsellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. These seaweed-powered heroes use skincare-level ingredients normally reserved for your face for results you can see and confidence you can feel. Osea has been making clean, clinically proven seaweed-infused face and body care products for over 28 years. This luxurious skincare is vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham, on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, right here on Talk Radio. Another day dawns in the confusing world of the lockdown. We're told today that primary schools might not be able to take any more children back to the classroom until September. And we're also told that secondary schools might not be able to open fully in the autumn either. This is the same time as learning that the coronavirus is in retreat and the death rate has fallen to its lowest level in 11 weeks. Confused? You won't be if you listen to this show. Surely it's time we got to grips properly, though, with online learning for our children. In all our schools, if they can't go, we need them to get back to focusing on what they need to actually do. I've said to my own kids, if you don't do anything between now and September, your brain will literally melt out of your ear. Now, I know that may not be particularly scientific advice, but that's kind of where we are right now. And I think it's time that the school system actually reacted properly in this country to the needs of the kids rather than to the needs of the teachers. You know what I'm saying? Meanwhile, the non-quarantine quarantine is in place to ensure that we can't go anywhere at the moment. But we might be able to go to Europe in July, but we can't book anything yet because it's not time yet. But we can't really tell you what to do. But at the moment, you shouldn't go anywhere. But if you do turn up at the airport, you can go somewhere. Uh, you just won't have any insurance. So when you get there, you won't be able to do anything uh, that might be in any way dangerous. And of course, when you come back, you might have to uh, self-quarantine. But if you have to go out, uh, you can go out. So it's not really a quarantine at all, is it? Do you see what I'm saying? This is why people are a bit confused, and I don't really blame them. Meanwhile, uh, as the road get busier and busier, all we're hearing about uh, is that there are more measures being introduced to scrap your own car and replace it with something electric. Fancy an electric scooter, an electric bike, maybe an electric go-kart. How about an electric sort of, you know, 
a mobility scooter. Maybe I'll get one of those and see if I can avoid the congestion charge and come in uh, on that every single day. 0344 499 1000. As ever, we will be cutting through the lies, the propaganda and the misdirection, quite frankly, to bring you the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth today and for the rest of the week and for the rest of the year indeed. And we need to hear from you, of course, as well. 0344 499 1000. Coming up, we'll be talking to Tory MP Matt Vickers, who's got some things to say about the thugs who tore down that statue in Bristol. And no doubt, of course, he'll have something to say about Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, who continually refuses to come on this radio show, uh, but has now come up with the brilliant idea of uh, sort of setting up a commission to decide whether the statues in London should be torn down and replaced uh, with pictures of famous people that we like, or that he likes, or that some people like, or that not very many people dislike. See what I'm saying? It's all a bit mad, isn't it? Also, we'll be talking to a lawyer who's going to take Sadiq Khan on, and he's already beaten him once, mind you, uh, over the congestion charge, over the fact that he's increased it to £15 in London and the fact that he's increased the actual time it runs through the weekend and as late as 10 o'clock tonight. We'll also be taking a look at no-fault divorce after a vote in Parliament yesterday uh, took it one step closer to reality. Uh, Coming up in our homeschooling section today, it's everything you've ever needed to know about looking after a dog. It's not just about walking and talking, you know. It's not just about feeding them, not just about playing with them. Uh, You will, of course, be hearing all you need to know because this is what we do here at the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome to yet another sparkling edition of the fastest growing radio show on the planet. And there's no wonder, really, when you look around and cast your eyes and ears about the broadcasting world, you can see that there's an awful lot of rubbish out there, an awful lot of stuff out there which doesn't tell you the truth, which does not in any way prepare you uh, for what you are about to see uh, as you go about your daily business. And here's what we're going to start off with today. We will talk about a great many things throughout the course of the show, but I'd like to talk about education this morning because there's a reason why we are where we are. We have allowed our educators to somehow take a grip of our children, teach them things which perhaps they are now utilising for political purposes. That's not what we're going to talk to Roger Layton about. He's the Chief Executive Partnership Learning and Academy Trust, which oversees 12 schools in East London. What I'd like to say to you today, uh, and I'd like you to tell me how your kids are being taught at the moment, because if they are homeschooled and if they are at home not going to school, my suggestion to you is that probably... Most of the schools around this country, the state schools certainly, are not really providing a proper online learning situation for children to be able to to do with any kind of regularity and with any kind of sort of uh, belief system, really. Roger, a very good morning to you. Welcome back to the show. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Thanks very Um, much. Well, look. Yeah, schools are trying really hard. They're working under, um, you know, as we all are at the moment. Um, unprecedented conditions and they're trying to mix um, online learning um, learning packs on paper that could be collected from school and now of course some contact with kids in some year groups actually on site and look we're all on a learning curve like most of us are in our lives in general you know teachers were not trained to be digital um, content providers um, and are having to skill themselves up very quickly um, and they're doing a great job, I think. But I think what we're now having to move into is a new phase. When this started, I think we all in our mind thought this was going to be pretty temporary. Mm. And we just need a bit of a sticking plaster to get us through a few months. We're now realising that this could go on, you know, potentially for a whole year. 
Um, and we really need, you're right, what you said earlier, we need to structure the online and home learning in a much more careful way. Yes. And and to be honest, Roger, I'm not blaming individual schools or individual teachers, but I mean, the Department of Education has a role here. Certainly the local councils and local authorities have a role as well. I just think it's time, as you say, to recognise that this is not something that's going to go away. And if we, it is it's indeed true, as, as we were told yesterday by Matt Hancock, that it may not be possible for secondary schools to all go back in September and that it goes even beyond there. You know, I mean, I've got a 13 year old boy who has not then been to school for literally, you know, three quarters of the year. Now, if he gets told in September he can't go back in September either, then I would fully expect there to be a very, very well put together online learning resource that he can effectively go to school virtually every day as if he was physically going. Yeah, and and I I think you're absolutely right. And I think he could combine that with um, regular visits to the school site by each student, so that the school staff can review the work they've completed or not completed. One of our schools, for instance, is introducing a system with the year 10s who are starting to come back in a week's time, where if they've not been completing work at home, they will have to stay in school and work in a supervised environment until they prove that they can be trusted to work independently at home. I think we're going to see a lot of that, a mixture of online, home and school-based learning. And I've seen some resistance being put up by some schools about, you know, the, the whole online learning situation based around the fact that some disadvantaged children don't have access to a computer or they don't have access to their own computer. Well, surely if that is the case, and I'm sure in some places that is the case, um, you can basically bring those children into the school um, as part of the learning process that goes on every day. Absolutely. I mean, there's a couple of ways we can solve that one. Firstly, the government have put some money into providing a small number of laptops for really disadvantaged students. We haven't received them yet. It's one of those promised targets that's not yet been met, but (laughs) they are apparently on their way. We in school will also put some money into providing laptops for students who really, really are struggling with the device at home. And then, as you say, we can have kids in school increasingly now, even if it's only in small numbers, particularly those who are not easily working at home and not motivated Mm. to work at home. What's your view of the latest government advice basically given to primary schools who were originally told that they would hopefully get more children back in in addition to year six and year one, but who are now being told it's basically up to them um, and they don't have to do it if they don't want to? Look, in, in the education world, we never thought that was going to happen. We always thought that was an empty promise. We knew it was going to be hard enough even to get the three or four year groups in primary in before the summer because of all the physical problems and not having enough rooms to separate the kids, not having enough staff if you double the number of class groups. So we knew that that really wasn't going to happen. So I'm pleased that they're finally saying that it's not because it left a question mark in parents' minds, made it very difficult for people to plan. So I think that's a good move to just face reality. And it's not that schools don't want to do it. Um, The vast majority of staff and head teachers are so pleased to be back, actually, and to see the kids again. They've really missed each other, believe it or not. Um, And uh, they would want to do this if they possibly can. But it's mainly the number of rooms and the number of staff that are going to be a continual constraint unless the guidelines can be changed. So if, for instance, it turns out that the two metres could be reduced to one metre, 
if there is um, you know, further reduction in the R number, if a vaccine is, well, those things will make all of that so much easier. But if the guidelines stay as they are, I don't see it's going to be possible to have more than half the school in at any one time. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. And inevitably, uh, I get the feeling that those things, those conditions will change because while uh, I was saying at the top of the show, you know, all of this confusion is going on uh, in terms of some of the different messages that we're getting from the government. You know, one of the messages which seems to be pretty clear at the moment is basically that the uh, the infection rate is going down. The number of people dying on a daily basis is going down. Uh, there is even talk in some parts of the world uh, that the virus has disappeared altogether. And obviously, if we do get to that point, um, then that will change everything. But equally, I think you're absolutely right about the one metre rule, because I'm hearing this from hospitality businesses as well. You know, if you make it one metre instead of two metre, it's a very different world. Absolutely. So, you know, and I think actually what's happening is working in the sense that we're gradually opening up, which will reassure people, reassure the staff, reassure parents, reassure pupils with we hope, a safe return over these next few weeks. And that should help, I think, relax people a little bit when we start to maybe need to relax some of the the, the strict rules we're working under at the moment. Sure. And what are you seeing at the moment, Roger, from, from your parents, from the parents that send children to your various different schools? Are you seeing their attitudes sort of softening over time? Um, yes, the numbers are gradually creeping up. Um, most of our primaries actually only started admitting kids yesterday. Um, so we've only got very early figures and the numbers range from about 25% to 40%. But the, the story I'm hearing from the schools is that, um, the, the, you know, the, 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 the playground gate talk yes. is that socially distanced, of course, of <laughs> is course. that, um, is that they are starting to feel a little bit more relaxed, just as, you know, the friends go, they want to go with their friends. And I think that will start organically to to build up over time. Yes, I think so. So what could be done uh, as we speak, Roger, in terms of like uh, this month, for example, uh, for those who are now no longer going to go back to school, who thought they might have been if they're in primary, uh, and for those in secondary who haven't been to school since before Easter, is there any way to kind of ramp up the online learning situation and would you do it on a national level would you do it on a local level sort of county by county Mm. how would you how would you propose that it would be best uh, done Mm. i think it it has to be done on a it has to be done very locally in fact it almost not quite on a school by school but maybe in clusters of schools it has to be done as groups of schools Um, because if you think of secondaries um, it would be difficult to provide a totally national online learning system for instance because schools although they might do the national curriculum in the early years then do different subjects for GCSE they do different exam boards they you know they study different periods of history etc so it's very specific and bespoke to individual schools so I think the best way forward on this will be for the government to provide as much guidance and um, national backup as they can and then schools individually are working together in local groups to as you say structure more carefully the online learning moving forward yes and it's already happening yeah i mean your argument about some individual teachers not exactly being necessarily say tech savvy um surely what then needs to be uh, happening is that some tech savvy people get co-opted into the school or into Mm. local Mm. authority who could Mm. set all that sort of Mm. stuff up 
Well, they, they weren't tech savvy um, eight, nine weeks ago. They're rapidly becoming tech savvy, just like the rest of us, you know, <laughs> um, who are suddenly, you know, Zoom and Microsoft Teams experts um, uh, overnight. So we are learning very, very quickly. And, and there is already a lot of support out there. And actually, there are a lot of private companies as well who obviously are seeing this as an opportunity. Many of them are giving, you know, free um, trial periods to work with their digital content. Mm. But I'm sure lots of schools will continue using those on a pay basis moving forward. Yeah. So I think most schools will adapt quickly to this. Right. I mean, one of the things, for example, that I hear from parents a lot is why can't we just have some kind of online registration scheme whereby the child has to get up in the morning and has to register online uh, with some kind of central device um, by 9 a.m. And then you can do what already some schools use. For example, uh, my children's school uses class charts, you know, where they can set homework digitally uh, and they can get the kids to complete the homework and they can mark it digitally as well. Um, uh, And so therefore you've got a kind of you've already got a system in place that could be used better. Mm. No, I, I agree, and, and, and most schools are going down those those routes or, very, or, or similar approaches. So I, I think that is already happening. It will become more structured as we move forward, and as we realise it's going to last a long time. Look, I should say I, I'm I'm seeing both sides of this. I'm I'm helping to homeschool an eight-year-old at the same time as running <laughs> right. a multi-academy plus. <clears throat> so I can see I really do see it for the parents' side as well. Right. My number one tip, by the way, is make sure you've got control over your router at home, mm. so you can block their devices when you need them not to go online. Yeah. That's my number one tip. Yes, well, that's very good. Easier said than done, of course, once they get to be more tech-savvy than you when they can actually go around the router uh, and get themselves a VPN. And before you know where you are, you know, you don't even know what's going on. But, I mean, what would you say to a parent who wants their school to do a registration scheme? What would be the best way to sort of suggest that? Yes, okay. So if, if, if parents are not happy with the quality of what's being provided, well, contact the head teacher. Um, every school has to have a complaints procedure, yeah. official complaints procedure should be on their website. Obviously, you know, an informal conversation always works best first. Find out what the plans of the school are if they've not already put something in place. But if there is a real wall, then there is a complaints procedure for every school that you can follow through. Yes. Roger, thank you very much as ever for talking to us. Roger Layton, Chief Executive of Partnership Learning uh, and Academy Trust, overseeing about 12 schools here uh, in London. Now, uh, I want to hear from you parents today because as much as we will be talking about all sorts of other things, the protesters, will be talking about them. We'll be talking about Pretty Patel's speech last night. We'll be talking about Prime Minister's questions coming tomorrow. We'll be talking about all manner of things today. Uh, however, and also Matt Vickers is joining us, Tory MP. Uh, I want to hear about your educational needs because if your kids are not being registered at school every morning, uh, what time are they getting up can you get them out of bed can you get them motivated can you get them to do any school work at all uh, if basically the school is saying well you know what uh, do some homework if you want but eh, if you don't want to do it just don't bother this is talk radio mid-morning with mike graham talk radio now time to say a very good morning to matt vickers conservative mp for stockton south matt welcome back to the show how are you all good, all good. Excellent. Very nice to see you now that we've got the uh, technology to watch you as well as to listen to you. So uh, this is all the rage here. Uh, people who are not doing it should get onto YouTube and you can watch it, uh, of course, as well. Now, Matt, the big story, I suppose, of the week we have to start off with uh, is what happened in Bristol, what happened in London over the weekend. I'm told that there might be another gathering uh, of the protesters in Parliament Square this very afternoon. Do you know anything about that? 
I don't, I've heard noises that there might be something on the cards, um, but yeah, I mean, what a what a, a disaster it was really in the in the this part this part of the world. I think you had sort of, I mean, the cause. It's a, it's a noble cause in that you know everybody wants to hate, end racism. We want to root it out. Um, it's it's a campaign to stop hate and to stop division. And actually, it's it's a protest that's causing lots of hate and causing lots of division. Well, um, and how you get around that, I don't know. I, you know, it's just gone way beyond with people abusing police officers, violence. We have police officers hospitalised. Um, it, it's just beyond. We got forty nine police injuries. Yeah. It's just just not acceptable. Yeah, and the police have actually made an official complaint. I understand to their bosses because they feel that they were not given adequate protection. Um, you know, I was staggered to watch footage of police officers literally running away from, um, you know, sort of marauding youths who were chasing them down the street. I mean, what's happened to the police in this country? I think when you've got, we, we, I mean, at this point in time, when this coronavirus pandemic is on, the police officers who go out there on the front line, put themselves at risk while everybody retreats off home, generally deserve our thanks. And in fact, what they're getting, you know, they're getting a good kick in. And it's just not acceptable. If we are putting people out there on the front line to keep the public safe, then we have a responsibility to keep them safe and give them whatever powers and whatever resources and whatever equipment they need to do that job. We need to be on their side because they are on our side. Yes, but the police have obviously taken a view, and I mean by that the leadership of the police, Cressida Dick and, and others, have obviously taken a view that they don't want to be too confrontational. But unfortunately, you know, these people who are disrupting the peaceful protests and turning them violent want confrontation, and surely the thing to do is to arrest those people, to take them out of the picture, so that basically there is no reason for them to come back. I mean, the Daily Mail today, on pages 10 and 11, has got an entire spread full of pictures of people people uh, who are committing acts of violence, somebody trying to burn the flag at the cenotaph, people throwing bottles. They've got very clear pictures of the faces of the men uh, pulling down the statue in Bristol. You know, these people, as Priti Patel says, uh, have committed criminal acts and they should be arrested, shouldn't they? The most, the most definitely needs to be action against people who do this. I mean, police officers out there having bottles thrown at them, having punches thrown at them, having bikes thrown at yeah. them, flares going off left and right. It's just not acceptable. Mm. Um, we There's a risk that you lose control of the streets. We, we've got to give the police officers what they need and we've got to stand right behind them as they do their job. Because the problem we have now, I mean, I was fully expecting on Sunday afternoon to hear a news report that said they tried to pull down Winston Churchill's statue, but luckily that didn't actually happen. But there's no question that there are groups of people now uh, online putting together plans to take down the Cecil Rhodes statue up in Oxford. There's no doubt that there are also other groups putting up um, uh, websites and putting up Twitter accounts suggesting that things are taken down, that they, they're putting up lists of statues. One that I've just seen is James II in London, uh, who they want to tear down because of some historical problem with him. You know, this, because they've been allowed to do it in Bristol, they think they can do it anywhere. I, think, I mean, it's rule of the mob, isn't it? That's where we've got right. to. It's, you know, the, the decisions about what should and shouldn't go up and where it's put and where it isn't put actually should be made by people who are elected. They should be made through proper decision-making processes, not by some mob and somebody shouting, here, let's have that one. It's just not on, is it? We, can, we cannot carry on like that. But that's um, what I mean. And the so therefore, therefore, the police, I think, unfortunately for them, whether they like it or not, are going to have to do the policing of these events and make sure that they, they don't allow this kind of ruling by the mob. Yeah, I think most definitely. And, and I think, I mean, the problem with the entire thing is the, is the 
the fact that this movement, this this aim of you know Black Lives Matter and, and tackling racism is actually getting so muddied up by the behaviour of these people. Um, it's it's not doing anyone any favours. It's all just it's breeding hatred, division. It's it's doing exactly the opposite of what it sets out to do. And yeah. we can, this is not protest. You know, you we cannot have Basher Bobby as as a means of protest. That is not protest. That is just abuse, yes. mindless abuse, violence, and vandalism. Exactly right. And what about these Labour MPs who appear to be in support? of this movement you know uh, we've seen quite a few of them over the course of the last several days um, uh, you know on the one hand giving them advice on how to uh, make sure they've got the proper legal advice if they get arrested uh, second suggestions from people saying that we support no matter what this movement effectively saying that they give um, you know sucker and comfort uh, to criminals Nadia Whittam uh, is one in particular that I can think of uh, where she also then uh, had a, uh, went on the attack against Priti Patel who I thought did brilliantly in the House of Commons yesterday yeah, should, I mean, the thing is, uh, this is this is not the Black Lives Matter movement. They're, 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 the number of people who, thousands of people across the country went out protesting. The people in Middlesbrough, near, near me, they went out, they respected social distancing, they respectfully, uh, sensibly protested, made their point without yeah. smashing anything up, without anybody getting hurt. Um, and they are not represented by these thugs right. who are going, doing what they're doing on the streets of London. Mm. Um, and the reality is, that Labour MPs should be a bit more responsible than what they're doing, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, don't don't Labour. I mean, don't Labour MPs have a duty to uphold the law, given that they are indeed lawmakers? Most definitely so. Uh, most definitely so. Um, we, the Conservative Party is the party of law and order, isn't it? And we're going to keep smashing it. And we're going to sort this. We're going to give the police what they need to deal with this issue. And whatever it takes, we need to be on their side. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. So, I mean, as far as the way that this is all kind of going, um, you know, we've got now uh, Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, supposedly starting up some kind of commission um, uh, and a sort of uh, a talking shop to discuss the statues of London. Now, I, for one, have lived in London for most of my life. I was born here. I don't believe that a man who is temporarily um, elected to run the city should have any say in what happens around the city to its permanent landmarks. I think, I mean, where is he? I haven't seen or heard from the guy. He's responsible for policing. Probably in the on uh, that other radio station that, that we don't talk about. <laughs> Selectively, I think. Yes, yeah. yes, yeah. exactly right. But, you know, what right has he got to start demanding that statues get moved or replaced by people that he likes better than the ones who are currently there? No, I think, I think he's got no rights at all over such a thing. Um, the, the history, the people who were represented on Parliament Square with all sorts of stories, all sorts of causes, uh, all of them noble. Uh, nobody has the right to go over there, smash things up, and Sadiq Khan has no right to interfere in, in the history uh, that is on display in Parliament Square. No, quite right. And I mean, just in general, um, it's a very poor uh, and, and rather sort of bizarre act to remove one particular statue and to target other particular statues when you might as well say that the entire city of Bristol, uh, the entire city of Liverpool uh, and parts of Glasgow should be just burned to the ground and knocked down uh, because they may have well been built with the proceeds from the slave business. I think, yeah, I mean, we've got, got to judge everything in, in its historical context as well. But like largely it's about there is processes in place that allow people to to make those decisions, to offer opinions on them, and to feed in, and, and they're made in a proper way, not by the mob, not by some sort of stupid, reactive uh, Piers Morgan having a rant on the telly and we'll all jump to one tune. It's, it's done properly through proper processes.
Well, exactly right. But this is the worry that I have about the left. You know, the kind of organised, uh, very far left is is ruining uh, parts of the way that our culture runs because the Labour Party looks to me like a party that's never going to ever gain power uh, for decades, right? So these people know that they can't do it legally. They can't do it through the ballot box. So they have to do it uh, through the rule of, of mob uh, mentality. But they make out that, you know, they have they carry the public with them. Well, they don't. I can tell you that for a start. I think I think you're probably right. I think I mean, it, politicians of all of all parties should actually be be looking at this issue and be on board with with safety and security. They should be back in the cops. It, 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 it is not an issue that people should be trying to politicise. Mm. Uh, race is not an issue that people should try and politicise. It's it's just it's not the done thing. And as for for the Labour Party representing any, well, I join you in hoping and praying that the Labour Party never sees power again in the near future in its current format because I think it would be a disaster for Britain um, but moreover I think that the Labour Party and their front bench do not represent the part of the world that I represent in any way shape or form um, they're disconnected they don't understand the concerns of people uh, in Stockton in, in Teesside and in the North East uh, and that's what was proven at the election and they continue to do exactly the same now. Demonstrably they've certainly lost the north of England I doubt they're ever going to get it back. Let me just ask you a financial question I know that you're not part of the Treasury team and I know that you're not uh, in the business department either but we had a call uh, from a, a guest of ours a little while ago Ellie Phillips presenter and showbiz journalist she's been talking about how three million people she's one of them uh, are falling through the cracks of the furlough scheme and of the grant scheme and of the loan scheme from the government because she is one of those freelancers who works on a PAYE tax system. And so, unfortunately, um, basically, she has missed out, uh, as have many other people. Is there any way that the government can somehow address this? And could you put it to somebody in the Treasury to, to see whether they could address it, even to the point where perhaps they could refund tax money that they've paid uh, or allow them to become part uh, of the self-employment income support scheme? I think generally what's happened in business support, so I had a, a conference call with a gang of people from the Chambers of Commerce the other day, businesses of all shapes, sizes and varieties. Um, and every day I'm in correspondence with businesses from my patch and they're feeding back sets of circumstances, examples, in particular that one, mm. um, but lots of others. And actually the government have been responsive as time's gone on. We had the package at the beginning and the package and the nature of support there has changed uh, every other week, hasn't it, in the last few weeks? Um, from the discretionary grant fund that's trying to meet, yeah. meet some of the gaps of people that can get the original grant, and I think the government is listening. I think it is changing. Um, but there, you know, it's if you can get the details of that individual to me, I'd be very happy to to feed that in uh, and see if we can give any. No guarantees, but I'd be no. very happy to take it up for him. No, that would be great because I think it's, it's it's obviously not just Ellie. There are lots of other people as well, and I think and I've said to her that the government has been quite nimble at covering up um, things that they hadn't managed to think about in the first instance, and they, they were then able to address and fix. So I'm hopeful uh, with your help, uh, uh, Matt, that maybe we can get this one uh, changed as well. I think when you look at the entire response of the public and of of the government to coronavirus pandemic. Actually, it's been unbelievable. If you told me a few months ago the public were going to, you know, stop going to the pub, they were going to stop doing life as they knew it uh, and, and debate as well as they have and get on with it as well as they have, I'd have been astonished. Uh, and the response of the government, the speed at which things have developed, changed, um, and, and the fact that the government have been listening and changing those business support packages and everything else around it, I think has just been unbelievably uh, successful. Yes, it has, but not for these particular people. So I'll put you guys uh, in touch and perhaps you can do your best uh, to help Ellie out and see what she can do. Looking forward to Prime Minister's questions tomorrow, Matt. Always. Excellent.
Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. One of the things that we do on a regular basis uh, is call out Sadiq Khan for some of his behaviours and he's never come onto this show to answer for them. But we're going to speak now to a man who's already beaten Sadiq Khan once in a legal challenge and is about to take him on again, this time over the increased congestion charge, not just because of the amount of money it's gone up to, which is £15 for travelling into central London, uh, but also because of the expanded hours uh, where it's now valid over the weekend, which it never used to be, and up until 10 o'clock at night. Right, Shaheen Mamoun is a solicitor. Shaheen, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Uh, good morning, Mike. Thank you so much for the generous introduction. Not at all. Listen, I'm delighted to find a fellow traveller because there are those in London who seem to think Sadiq Khan's doing a great job. I'm not one of them, I'm afraid, and I suspect neither are you. Um, so I'm a central Londoner. I'm a solicitor and director at Black Antelope Law. Uh, the measures, so the Mayor of London in a press release on 15th of May 2020 mm. basically proposed that the congestion charge would be reinstated on the 18th of May. Yeah. Um, initially, it was suspended on the 20th of March due to the coronavirus pandemic. Right. He's proposed to increase it to £15 from mm-hmm. the 22nd of this month. And the hours of operation will also be extended from 7am to 10pm, seven days a week. Right. Um, the Mayor of London also proposed, uh, proposes to temporarily close the residence discount that's available to all local residents. So essentially, he's failing to consider the impact that it will have on all individuals coming in and out, living in London especially in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic. Yeah, yeah, it's quite remarkable, really. Um, uh, and I was, I was under the impression that it had gone up to 15 quid already. But are you saying that that hasn't actually happened yet? It hasn't happened yet, from the 22nd of June. Okay. So essentially, Mike, um, it's all happened a bit under the rug, essentially, what the Mayor of London has happened mm. with his proposals. Um, usually when a significant proposal of a public policy that impacts a lot of Londoners, through his office, usually what happens is they have to undertake a period of consultation, they have to undertake a period of assessment to establish all the effects that will happen under the Equality Act 2010. Mm. Fortunately, the Mayor of London has failed to do this. He's essentially trying to bypass all relevant legal procedures that he has available to him, and he's trying to implement a policy without actually listening to the views of those that are affected, such as yourself, myself, Mm. and other businesses that are feeling really after effects of the COVID-19. Right. And he's already admitted effectively telling lies about it, hasn't he? Because he said initially that the reason he was forced to put the congestion charge back on and was forced to put it up was because of the shortfall in funding from central government and that it was their decision to do it. And he then went on uh, Good Morning Britain with Piers Morgan and actually admitted Mm. that that wasn't true. And in fact, it was his decision. I've had a uh, look at the letter from the Transport Secretary. Um, One of the sort of points that he raises as part of the funding bill was to essentially for the mayor of london to bring forward proposals to widen the scope Mm. in terms of reinstating the congestion charge now i'm pretty sure that's quite a 
quite a broad interpretation as what is bring forward proposals to widen the scope. The power lies with the Mayor of London. Mm. Essentially, he should be putting the question out to the public, essentially finding out how does that impact your businesses, how does that impact yourself, your everyday life, essentially, and how does it also affect those from vulnerable groups, mm. such as uh, those affecting from disabilities, etc., uh, how it would impact on their daily lives. No, exactly right. And tell us a bit about what happened a few years back, because you took on uh, Sadiq Khan and TfL Transport for London over their plans to try and sort of cycle lane and pedestrianise Regent's Park and Camden. Um, so it wasn't essentially myself directly. Um, it was a part of a national campaign, actually, part of Londoners, where basically essentially they were able to, in a similar position, raise a judicial review right. against the Mayor of London for failing to undertake a consultation period. Mm. And they were actually told off by the judge in the High Court. And it was quite a significant uh, policy that the Mayor of London should consult with publics before they implement any public policy. Yes. So in this instance, the Mayor of London is a public body. And this is something that we really, really need to be concerned with. Um, I'm sure you're aware, Mike, when a public body, a government office, essentially says they're raising temporary measures, more likely than not, it will become a permanent measure. Right. Well, of course, and one of the things the judge in that case said was that this was an opportunity uh, for people who didn't agree uh, to take the, the mayor on, effectively, because if it waited too long, he would have put all sorts of things into place. You know, the street furniture would have been changed, the, 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 the architecture of the street would have been changed. And I worry about this on a, on a more sort of macro level, where, you know, I live in, in uh, south-east London. The way that the roads are being dug up, the way that the cycle lanes are being put in, and the way that all these curbs are being kind of dreamed up, and traffic lights are over the place you know i don't remember giving any permission to anyone for any of that absolutely i mean the biggest concern um the point of our sort of legal challenge especially is to establish a precedent where the mayor of london's office will actually seriously take uh heed of people's opinions rather than just sort of bypassing legislation right. and passing through any law that they would seek fit i mean this is going to impact a lot of businesses coming in and out um, a lot of organisations that I've spoken to, for example, like Uber drivers, mm. delivery drivers, even individual businesses such as myself, for example, with supplies, etc., coming into mm. London. Even myself as a local resident, um, I'm going to be penalised. My, house, my household is going to be penalised for essentially moving any vehicle onto the main road or where we live. Right. Because essentially straight away we're liable for the congestion charge. Yeah. And this is, this is going on until 10pm each day for seven days yeah, a week. Yeah, I can't see any justification for taking it to 10 o'clock at night or for using it the weekend. I mean, he's made this argument before that, you know, it's all about making London a greener city and basically he would love it if he could ban cars. But that's not practical. Absolutely. I mean, like I mentioned, the biggest concern that I have is when the Mayor of London tries to bypass legal provisions himself. Himself is a solicitor. He's mm. previously represented clients um, when it comes to human rights matters. So I'm really concerned with the fact that he's actually trying to bypass a lot of legislation, try to failing to actually undertake his duty as a public body by listening to those that are affected. Yeah. And what about the uh, the organisation itself, Transport for London? In your uh, lawsuit, in your uh, legal uh, sort of challenge to this, will you be enabled to have a look inside TfL? Because there's a lot of questions that people have about the way that TfL is run, uh, the kind of business connections that they that they have with various businesses outside of, of London, the way that, for example, the uh, I hear this from black cab drivers all the time, the way that the, um, uh, the contactless payment system was put into all black cabs. They were only offered one system 
system that they had to buy. They were not offered a choice. You know what I mean? So, uh, you know, there's all sorts of allegations which should be cleared up because nobody wants to have uh, false allegations made. But there are some very big questions, I think, that many of us would have about the way TFL is run. Absolutely. Uh, we've, as part of our legal challenge, we've asked for disclosure of certain minutes and certain documents, right. especially with the Mayor of London's office discussion with the government. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure there's been a recent disclosure with the Transport Le- uh, Secretary's letter confirming the funding deal. But what actually went on, what actually was discussed, we've actually sought disclosure. Yeah. I think transparency is key here. Um, it's very concerning that a lot of individuals, a lot of businesses, a lot of families have actually felt the side effects of the coronavirus. Yeah. And we're all trying to get back on our feet. We're all trying to come back slowly but surely from the lockdown, trying to reestablish ourselves. And the first thing that we've done is essentially hit with a massive, massive unfair and unjust uh, policy implemented by right. the Mayor of London. And also, and one you thing know... I would also say as well, uh, Mike, is the there's a certain... Uh, false narrative between mm. the Mayor of London's office and Transport Secretary's office where essentially they're pinpointing blame between each other. Right. Uh, what I can say is there was a funding deal that was provided to the Mayor of London, but it's the Mayor of London with the legal powers to actually determine what is widening the scope and actually to implement the actual policy itself. Mm. So the power lies with the Mayor of London. Right. Also, uh, the, the one thing we haven't talked about is that the timing of the, in, in the reintroduction of the suggestion charge was right in the midst of when people were going back to work and were being told by Absolutely. central government try to avoid travelling on public transport. Now, I know because I've worked through this whole pandemic and I've been driving into work as a result of not wanting to use the trains because I think Sadiq Khan's made them more dangerous. Um, Basically, he has forced more people onto the tube network and onto public transport at a time when the government is saying, try not to do that. It's absolutely counterproductive. And it also raises questions um, as to what, narrative they're actually trying to portray to the public um like you mentioned i mean we want transparency we want disclosure from the mayor of london's office from tfl i think this is why it's very vital for everyone's opinion to actually be heard whether you're a london resident or Mm. not because london is a city hub of the uk and everything pretty much goes in and out and it's very important that this is addressed accordingly Absolutely right. Well, Shahid, is there anything that anyone can do to help you? Uh, are you looking for any kind of crowdfunding? What's the story? Uh, thank you, Mike. So I'll just give you a brief update. Uh, we've written to the, the Mayor of London's office where we've actually served a legal document called the Letter Before Claim, where okay. we've actually set out the legal uh, challenge to the Mayor of London's. We're expecting a response from them this week. Okay. Depending on their response, we'll be providing them with a rebuttal. And then upon that response, we're essentially looking to issue judicial review claims uh, to the court itself to hold the Mayor of London to account. Um, As part of the legal challenge, we're appealing to everyone that's been affected, everyone that's in support of this claim against uh, the Mayor of London's office. Uh, We've raised uh, an actual crowdfunding uh, site where we're trying to raise funds to actually go through the legal challenge itself. And my main concern would be to actually ask for everyone's support because I feel like this is an unfair policy. Yeah. 
So it's a very dangerous precedent. It's something that we should be doing as Londoners and anyone uh, affiliated with London to hold the Mayor of London's office to account, just not just for now, but mm. also in the future, so they're way aware of what our rights are. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. Well, Shaheen, listen, if you can uh, get some kind of social media around that, tweet it to us, we'll retweet it, we'll support you uh, in any way that we can, uh, because I think this is a really important fight, as you say, not just for, for this particular issue, but for Londoners and for the nation as well, uh, to all together. Shaheen Mamoun, uh, who is Director and Solicitor of Black Antelope Law, uh, He's taking on the Mayor of London. I think it's far, far more important to take on the Mayor of London now uh, than it's ever been. Uh, And I, for one, would hope that you would agree. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It is, of course, that time, uh, just after 12.30. We've had the news. Uh, We're going to have some homeschooling very shortly. Uh, But, of course, um, uh, what we're going to be telling you about today uh, is how to look after your dog. Because a lot of people have been getting dogs in this uh, lockdown and a lot of people are not entirely certain what to do with them. Okay, we're going to talk to the chief executive officer of All Dogs Matter, uh, one of my favourite dog institutions. We'll find out from then uh, precisely what you can do. Uh, that you might not know that you can do or that even indeed you should do uh, in order to make sure that everything works for um, your dog because there's nothing better than having a great dog. And I have to say, my dog is a great dog. Let's talk now, though, uh, to Ira Moss, who is Chief Executive Officer of All Dogs Matter. Ira, hi. Very good afternoon to you. Hi. Thanks. Afternoon to you. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Now, uh, this is our homeschooling section, so there's some children uh-huh. listening to this. Uh, many of them will have dogs, I guess, and many uh-huh. of them will perhaps want to have a dog. Um, I've uh-huh. got one, a very beautiful Labrador, uh, who's called Ziggy, um, and I wondered um, what you could tell us about um, how to look after your dog, because, of course, lots of people will say, uh, well, we know how to look after a dog, it's not difficult, but, but you can maybe tell us things that, uh, that we don't know. I will certainly give it a go and try. Okay. Um, so we, we have noticed since lockdown, um, dog um, the demand for dogs has really sort of shot through the roof, which is kind of good and, and bad. Um, so lots of people are at home. It's great. They've got the time to settle in a new dog, uh, whether it be a puppy or an older dog. The only slight problem with that is that if dogs become too dependent on their humans being around all the time, they yeah. may later on or after that suffer with uh, separation anxiety yes i've heard a lot of that because i mean a lot of people have told me and i would have to say that that mine is the same having everybody Mm. around has made him a lot happier yes (laughs) it's yeah lockdown's fantastic for dogs yeah dogs that have got homes at least yeah Um, but it's post lockdown that we we and other charities are are sort of slightly worried about um, because dogs that by nature will will if they're with say, you know, their, their family or human or humans for most of the time, which they are at the moment, uh, they will, um, it, it can be problematic afterwards. Mm. So we are suggesting that people, um, it, you know, that obviously it's hard, it's not, not harder to go out, but there's less places to go, but still maintain that you leave your dog for at least ideally an hour a day or half an hour at least. Yeah. So it's not too codependent on you. Okay. Um, because when hopefully things go back to normal, that that's going to be um, quite tricky to deal with right it's not always easy for people i suppose to have more than one dog but if you have more than one dog is that better for when you leave them mm, as it were not necessarily that they still become sort of dependent on on the human mm. um so you know for kids it, it's great the weather's good um you can get out it, you know we're all getting exercised by having a dog but um life will hopefully return to normal and Dogs will bark if they're left alone. If they, you know, if, particularly if they're in apartments, that can be problematic. 
So start like your homeschooling kids, you need to homeschool your puppies and your dogs as well. Um, schooling, you know, traditional puppy schooling and dog training schools also aren't open at the moment because mm. you can't really distance. So you can't even, it's, you know, people are buying puppies and they can't go to that early socialisation class. There's lots of information that you can get online and kids are great, you know, it's a subject for kids to do. They can look online um, about basic training and some tips mm. but it's really really important to remember to distance yourself from your dog even if it's for half an hour pop outside for 10 minutes even if you go for a walk around the block just go out for 10 minutes and leave your dog on on their own or mm. with the other dog if you get the other dog yes and what about sort of the number of walks per day does it depend on the size of the dog and the, the distance that you travel i mean is there an ideal kind of way of checking that well, if you get a little Jack Russell, you know, Jack Russells are small, but they they can go for miles and miles. And, and the other problem is people are getting dogs and not realising how much exercise they need. Um, so we are seeing a high return of dogs coming or, or dogs coming into us that people just haven't anticipated, you know, how much exercise they, they really do need. Yeah. But there are certain breeds that aren't working breeds, let's, let's say, that won't take up as much um, work. So, again, we say we search... The breed. Be very careful at the moment. There's lots of scams going online. Demand for puppies is so high that people are paying sort of two and a half to three and a half thousand pounds per puppy, mm. which is outrageous. It's also um, encouraging scrupulous breeders and dogs coming in far too young, which is another problem that you can be left to, to deal with um, if you're getting dogs online. To so be very, we're you know wary about people saying, "Oh, we'll drop the dog to you," and you hand them a, you know an envelope of money and, and you never see them again. Mm. Um, but, you know, dogs like routine. So as much as kids do, you know, try and stick to certain routines and times that you get your dog out, that you feed your dog. Again, vets at the moment, if you do need to see a vet, that's pretty problem problematic because you can't go into yes. a vet for a consult with your dog. They have to take the dog in from you outside, and some dogs get very stressed with that. Mm. So do consider all these things um, if you're getting dogs during lockdown it's a great time to settle your dog in spend time with but there are disadvantages as well to it if you don't think those things through no of course and talking of, of breeders and, and unscrupulous types how is mm -hmm. what, what would you advise somebody if they are looking to get a dog i mean uh in terms of making sure that the breeder is genuine in terms of the fact that the breeder is reputable you know because a lot of people do sell puppies sort of out of the back of the garage and and they may yeah. not have been you know quite as well treated as you would hope yeah, and of course, these unscrupulous breeders have got a great excuse at the moment because you're meant to meet mum before you take the dog. But yeah. of course, the great excuse, oh, sorry, you can't come in because of the coronavirus. Yeah, they'll right. sort of show you a photograph or, or say, oh, we'll come round to you instead. So mm. I think people shouldn't be spending more than a £1,000 for a dog. Right. Um, one, it's not ethically correct. Um, and, and, you know, puppy farming is, is really rife at the moment. It's like the new drugs money almost. Yeah. Um, and just try not to encourage the, these people as, as tempting as it is. And once you see that cute little face or you see a, few, you know, a photo of that cute little face, it, 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 it's, it's very, very tempting. You don't want to say no and you feel like you're rescuing that, that dog, that particular dog from these people. But all you're doing is encouraging it. So demand is very high. I mean, from a, from a rescue point of view, it's great for us and other charities that have been operating because dogs are coming in and going straight out because rescues are much stricter about who they give dogs to, who they rehome dogs to because they'll say no if they don't think it's um, appropriate. Um, and, and people are giving away their own dogs online, even for free, is just as bad. To get a dog for free, 
also can be problematic because you're not getting any history or you don't know what the problem is with a dog veterinary-wise um, or, or behaviourally-wise. Mm. You wouldn't encourage someone to just get a dog they see advertised online and they have got young children because you've just got no history on that dog. And often you'll find with these breeders and people selling, if you try and call them once you've had that dog in your home and there's a problem, their number would have been changed. They'll yes. just change the chip on their phone and that'll be the end of it. Right. So try and go through a you know a, a sort of assured kennel club reader if you can. The dogs have become fashionable and, and there are people taking advantage of that. Um, to be honest, I just don't know where people are getting the money to spend two and a half, <laughs> three and a half thousand pounds for a dog. Well, maybe they're getting it from the government. That's where it all seems to be coming from. Everyone, no one's got any money, and yet uh, people are ringing us up, and, and, and it's kind of crazy. Um, so I, I just don't understand, you know, particularly fashionable breeds like cockapoos, French bulldogs, all those kind of things, dachshunds, all those types of dogs. Um, just go online, and, and it's crazy. So we would discourage any sales on, I don't know if I'm allowed to mention the names, but the sort of the free online yes. websites yes no quite please please avoid them and I know, and you guys um rescue dogs and are rehoming dogs all the time so i mean mm. i presume you've got some dogs if somebody wants one uh, well, we, we, ha- we have and we haven't literally as they're coming in and it's great for us we're getting you know we had three staffies in last week one had been used for breeding and probably the pups are on, on sale now um, we had a nine-year-old, one that was left on an old boy, he was 13, was left on a DLR train or by himself, another one on a bus. And, and within a week, we've got a waiting list and, and they're going out. So, mm. you know, people are being great and they're wanting to help and foster and adopt dogs that haven't got homes. But we're urging people that want a cute little fluffy puppy, please, please think about what's going on behind the scenes. These people are, aren't paying any tax at all. It's all cash. There's no refunds. Um, and, and please don't buy into that horrible um trade no quite well ira thank you very much indeed ira ross chief executive officer of all dogs matter uh, out there in the big wide world dog rescue and rehoming charity so i mean that's a good place to start if you are looking for a dog uh, but just remember uh, if you are thinking of going back to work or you are about to go back to work having been with your dog for the best part of the last three months you might need to train it up a little bit uh, as ira says uh, to make sure it doesn't suffer uh, from separation anxiety lots lots more to come of course don't forget dogma uh, is a podcast that I do with Kevin O'Sullivan once a week uh, in which we uh, uh, share the stories about our two dogs, Ziggy of the Labrador and Chasbo, uh, the Spaniel and basically um, we will talk to another celebrity this week, we've already done Eamon Holmes, we've talked to Syra Khan we've got somebody else coming up this week comes out tomorrow, look out for it uh, subscribe to it, download it and love it this is Talk Radio Talk Radio, across the UK online, on DAB and on your smart speaker the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.